Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. They were just sailing to a nearby island, which they would turn around and come back at nightfall, where the 30 hidden soldiers inside the uh, wooden horse would climb down, open the city walls, and Troy would be destroyed in one evening. The devil uses deception in our lives all the time. And you can see that by just, just a little deception, just a little bit, how destructive it can be. You see the massive army rushing through those walls. They had no chance. They stood no chance. You and I stand no chance if we're not on guard as it relates to deception. The battle that we're in is not a battle of flesh and blood. It's not something that we can visibly see often. And yet, there is oftentimes deception used by the enemy. Maybe it's within ourselves. Maybe it's through other people. We have to beware of deception. The Trojan horse is an incredibly successful ploy of of deception. Hence the saying, Beware of Greeks bearing gifts. Beware of Greeks bearing gifts. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9, if you would, please. Joshua chapter 9. If you're a guest with us, we want to welcome you here this morning. We're glad you're here. If you're joining us on the live stream, you're welcome. Welcome uh, to be with you this morning. Welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome for being here, you know, whatever. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast, we want to welcome you as well. We're continuing our Arise series in Man. Do we have an interesting encounter this morning? One that we can all relate to. It's the account of devious alliance. I'm calling this message guarding against Gibeon. Guarding against Gibeon. For what we see in our text this morning is a well-executed ploy of deception. The people of Gibeon are fearful of the children of Israel. And so what they do is they pull one over on them. They pull the proverbial wool over their eyes by using very good props, by using very scripted language. Joshua and the children of Israel become duped by this ploy. It was obviously an Oscar-nominating performance, no doubt, because they had no clue. What did Gibeon want? Why did they want an alliance with Israel? To ensure their safety, their protection. They were trying to save their lives. And they would do, use deceptive means in order to get into a covenant, an agreement, a peace treaty with Israel. Now we can all relate to this in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not a covenant, but we've all experienced deception in some way, shape, or form. We experience it every day. From the time you go to bed to the time you rise up, you have to be on guard uh, regarding deception. I mean, you have an entire, uh, you know, marketing teams focused on trying to deceive you into thinking that you need what they're trying to sell. And of course, they do an incredible job because we're consumers and we like to buy things. And so when we feel like we need that, we're deceived into thinking that we're, our life will never be the same if we don't have that gadget or that thing, we run to the store and buy it. It's deception. That's what marketing is. Not, maybe not false deception, but it's deception in a way. It's, trying to tr- it's trickery, trying to get you to think that something will fulfill you. We know it's a lie though, right? We know that there's one thing that can fulfill us and it's Jesus Christ and Him alone. He's the only thing that can fulfill that desire in your heart, that emptiness. I remember one time I was trying to put a sprinkler system in my house in Montana. I I was getting some bids from some various different things, but there was one interesting character that I encountered while I was getting bids, and he was very interested in my personal life for some reason. And he asked me all these questions, and we went into my house, and we were sitting uh, down, and I was explaining what I wanted, and how I wanted it done or whatever. And he saw Bibles in my house and whatever. And uh, he asked, well, where do you go to church? So I told him where I was going to church and whatever. And lo and behold, on Sunday morning, this fella shows up. He makes sure that I see him. He makes for sure that, hey, 
Hey, Tim, how are you doing? How are you doing? I got my family with me. That's great. I'm glad he came. But it was deception. He came because he was trying to gain my business. He was trying to get on the same page with me and, and trying to relate me in, with me in a way that maybe I would, he would have some favor with me. Maybe you've experienced that where someone's trying to sell you or something or someone's trying to get close to you because there's someone they want to get close to that you know called networking. People do it all the time. And it's deceptive. Hey, be my friend because I want something from you. But when they, you have nothing else to offer, no longer are you their friend. We see it all the time. No wonder the world is so on guard against the gospel. No wonder the world is so guarded when it comes to this free gift that we want to give them called salvation. Jesus Christ has paid the price for you. He's laid down His life. He was pinned to a tree and He rose again from the dead victoriously and He wants to extend this free gift to you. Will you not receive it? Oh, that can't be true. You guys are always trying to deceive me in some way. No doubt. You've been there. You know. You know the saying. Nothing is ever free. People say it all the time. And so they're on guard as it relates to the gospel because of deception. Because they're worried about being deceived. So how do we successfully deal with deception? How do we effectively guard against Gibeon? There's four things that I want to show you from our text this morning. But we're going to pray before we start. So would you bow your head with me? Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we thank you that you love us relentlessly. That your love will never fail us. No matter how deceived we are. You pursue us. Relentlessly with this unending love. Lord, would you help us this morning to have clarity in our minds and our hearts. Would you give us spiritual insight to where we stand before you this morning? Lord, we don't want to play church this morning. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you would have us to know this morning. So we ask you to guard our hearts against distractions, which is deception from the enemy. Lord, we bind him from this place today. We ask that you would just come now and speak directly to our hearts, Lord, and help us to gain some understanding about how we battle deception in our own lives. We lift this up to you. We thank you. May you be magnified and glorified, and may you just be seen clearly. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that I want to show you in this text is that if we're going to guard against Gibeon, we have to watch out for the ruse. We have to watch out for the roost. Look at verses 1 through 5 with me there. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowlands all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai. They put... Uh, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbling. Word travels fast in all the world and yet it's interesting how bad news travels faster. Our culture plays on bad news. We like to propagate bad news because people, that's what draws people. They want to know. We're curious people. We're, we love gossip. We love to hear it. What's going on in the world? I need to know. And so there's this, all, this ploy of negativity and then it affects our lives, doesn't it? Bad news travels fast. It's funny how that works, but that's another topic for another day. In the land of Canaan, the bad news was traveling fast. Israel was on the move west of the Jordan. They were kicking butts and taking names. And everybody was fearful in the land of Canaan. And so we see here two different responses to that because when fear comes, not everybody responds the same. Here we find six kings that 
decide to align themselves together and they're going to battle against Israel. We're going to take the frontal attack. We're going to bind together as one and we're going to go ahead and we're going to battle these guys and we think we can take them. So that's what these kings do. And as they're preparing their, their strategy of how they're going to attack Israel, there's another group that says, no, we're not going to join the band of brothers. We're going to do it our way. We think there's a better way. And they begin to plan something entirely different. Rather than go up against Israel, we're going to join them. We're going to try and nestle underneath the nest of Israel and find protection and safe harbor from them. The land of Gibeon, the people of Gibeon, they decided to uh, use deception as a strategy to deal with their fear of the Israelites coming into the land. It was a ruse. It was trickery. They would act like they're from a distant land when in fact they were the very next <laughs> cities to be wiped off the face of the earth. They were the very next ones. In fact, they were probably thinking there's no way that we can align ourselves with these other kings. There's no way they can get here fast enough to protect us. We're going to be the front line of attack. And you know what? We're not going to go down that way. So we're going to figure out something else. And so they come up with this plan. Israel has no idea what is about to hit them. It's deception. And as Christians, we are in a similar situation. We have a great deceiver in our midst that is trying to wiggle his way into our lives, into the lives of your children, into your homes through deceptive means. He is called the great dragon in Revelation chapter 20, uh, 12, verse 9. The deceiver of the whole world. And he is working fervently in our midst today because he knows that time is running out. He's read the headlines. He understands that the Savior of the world has come and that he has conquered the world through crucifixion and, and through his resurrection. So he understands this. And so what he's doing is he's not going to go down without a battle. He is going to pull down as many people with him as he can. So he's on, a, on guard and he's on attack. How do we deal with this? Well, Peter tells us, 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's not a pretty cat. He doesn't want to be petted. He might appear that way to you initially. And yet he's a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He came to kill, steal, and destroy, folks. And he's doing everything he can to do that to you. Anybody thankful for the blood of Christ that covers us, that gives us power to overcome the enemy? Thankful for Jesus because we have victory in him over these attacks. And yet that doesn't mean we won't deal with them. And that's why Peter said, be on guard. Don't be foolish. Don't think that you're not going to deal with these spiritual battles that will come. And let me tell you something. If you've never been in a spiritual battle before, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. You may, you may want to look at yourself and consider whether or not you're a threat to the enemy at all. Whether you're in Christ even. If you've never experienced any spiritual warfare at all. Maybe you don't know what spiritual warfare is. You don't understand. These are circumstances and things that are happening in your life that they happen. They're not in your control. They're not anything that you're doing, but they're, they're, they're oppressions that come upon your life. And the Lord uses those things to press you into God, into Himself, and yet the enemy is trying to tear you down and destroy you. That is spiritual warfare. And we all deal with it. Peter said we need to be on guard regarding it. And we have to watch out for the ruse. The moment that you think that you're strong enough to stand on your own in this battle is the moment you fall. It's the moment you will find yourself laying on your back saying, what happened? I don't understand. Listen to me. The devil has never ever appeared to me in battle with a pitchfork and horns out of his head. That's not the way he looks. He's a deceiver. And in fact, he often looks like Hey, listen to this. 
something that I like, something that I'm attracted to, something that I desire. He knows you. He understands your, your, your desires. He knows, your, you know, he, he's not crafty. He's crafty, but he's not, um, he doesn't create things. You know, he just uses the same things over and over again, and we are drawn right back in. The proverbial fish in the lure. Whoa, what happened? Same thing. That's why we have to be on guard. We have to be sober-minded. We have to be watchful. Paul said it this way. Do not be deceived, brothers. Jesus himself said it this way. See that no one leads you astray. The concept of beware of deception is, is uh, you know, appears over 150 times in the New Testament. Jesus said it. Paul said it. Peter said it. John said it. They all said it. Beware there is a spiritual battle happening. Be on guard. How do we deal with this spiritual battle? Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 6, Verse 11, he said that we must put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. Against the deception of the devil. You want to know how to battle deception in your life? You want to figure out what's a ruse and what isn't? You put on the armor of God and you'll know. But notice it didn't just say put on uh, you know, the shield of the armor. No, it said put on the whole armor of God. You can't just put on one piece of it and think that you're going to outsmart the devil. You won't. you got to put it on. But I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing that stuff. Well, that's, that's awesome. Keep doing that. That's one part of the armor. But there's other parts of the armor of God that you need to put on, you know? We need the belt of truth. We need the breastplate of righteousness. We need the feet of readiness given by the gospel of peace. We need the shield of faith. We need the helmet of salvation. We need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need all of those things. We can't leave any of those things out. Every single one of those things is preparing us for the battle. It's how we find ourselves the way through the battle. Jesus Christ paving the way for us. Us shielded, us fully armored and ready to battle. He's already battled for us, but we're supposed to get ready. We're supposed to have all this stuff on. Otherwise, you're going to be fooled by the costumes, by the props. You're going to be fooled by the slick language, by the, 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 the script that's being played out in your life to woo you back and forth, emotionally pull you this way and that way. If you don't put on the armor of God, you are open up for disaster. You are opening yourself up for, for destruction. You will not be able to tell what is a ruse and what isn't. What is trickery and what is not. That's why we're called to put on the armor of God. If we're going to guard against Gibeon, then we have to watch out for the roots means we have to be on defense at all times. You can't let your guard down. I find it interesting that Israel is on this thing. He experienced great victory at Jericho. Rah, rah, we're on our way, guys. We are battling. We are, we are, we are, we're kicking butt and taking names. Then they find themselves in AI, not seeking God's counsel and saying, oh, let's just send up you know, 3,000 of them, not giving them, not giving God their best, and they just send up 3,000 measly soldiers and they lose 36 of them, so they fall. So now they're on the downside. They humble themselves. Lord, what do we do? Get up and do what I tell you to do. They go back up, taking everybody with them. God gives them the strategy. They have victory over AI. Now, once again, on the mountaintop, what happens on the mountaintop? We start to become cocky as if we've done it. As if we had anything to do with the victory. Listen, when we try to do it, we're, you know, the example is the first battle at Ai. That's what happens. We fail. When we try and stand against the enemy on our own, we will fail. The Lord says, sit at my feet, do what I tell you to do, and you will see victory in your life. Put on the armor of God. Do these things and you'll see victory. Withstand the devil and he will flee. The, the, he's given us the word. He's told us what to do. All we need to do is simply stand on his word. Simply do what the word of God tells us to do. If we're going to guard against Gibeon, we have to watch out for the ruse. Secondly, we have to be leery 
of those who want to get too close to us too soon. Check this out in verse 16. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did uh, to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sihon the king of Hesbron and Og the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, let us make a covenant with you. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day that we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. These fellows seem awfully anxious to make a covenant with Israel, don't they? Make a covenant with us. Make a covenant with us twice in just a couple lines. We're your servants. Make a covenant with us. No, really. We're your servants. Make a covenant with us. Why? Wouldn't you ask that question? It certainly seems like you're very interested in a covenant because you're some from, from some galaxy far, far away. You know, we're not sure where. And you want a covenant with us. It seems fishy. And yet, it doesn't seem all that fishy to these guys. It doesn't seem all that fishy to Joshua for some reason. Generally, when I've found that somebody wants to get into a relationship, a partnership of some sort with me, uh, in short order, it's generally because they're trying to hide something that they're afraid is going to be exposed as time goes on. And if I don't get in this relationship with them right now, right, right here, right now, they're worried that I'm going to find out who they really are. And so they press me. Come on, let's do it now. Time waits for no man, you know. You don't know what you're going to be doing next week, next month, next year. You need to do this now. Let's get into this relationship. Let's get into this partnership. Let's get into this thing because, you know, you need to get in this new car right now. It's, who knows if it's going to be here next year, next month. You know, you, let's do it now. And when you start to feel pressured to get into something, your antenna, your red flag should go up in your mind. Hold on a second. Something's wrong here. Why the pressure? Why here? Why now? Wisdom would say, wait. Wisdom would say, not now. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to wait to see what the deal is with this situation. Why so much pressure? Don't rush into anything, particularly relationships. I had a guy come to the church not too long ago in a, in a frenzy panic. Hey, Pastor, would you marry us right now? Uh, we just want to get married right now. I mean, we're here. We're, you're here. We're here. Uh, you know, let's just get married right now. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Married right now? Right this instant? What's the hurry? Why do you need to be married right now? Well, we're just ready. I mean, we've, we've seen each other for three weeks. We're ready to get married. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Three weeks, huh? That's an awfully long time, but you might want to get to know each other a little bit better. I'm not saying that God couldn't do that. I'm just saying that, you know, the way that you're acting would suggest that that's not the way I see Jesus in Scripture. So I would say maybe you need to put the brakes on. If you guys are in love, you'll be in love next week, next month, next year. So don't rush into this. Why would you rush into something that is so, you know, permanent? So permanent, marriage. Something that you're taking a vow before the Lord that, you're, you're going to stay into that thing. Why would you do that? Hold on a second. Guess what? They just went to the next place and got married. They just went to the next door, knocked on the next door, and they got married. I don't know if they're married anymore or not. They came to church once. Praise the Lord for that. 
you know, but here's the thing. Single people, particularly the young people, do not rush into anything like that. Don't rush into relationship because the enemy, I've seen him do it time and time again where he just grabs a hold of the strong believer and he deceives them into thinking that this other person is a believer because we all know we're not to be unequally yoked, right? You can shake your head like this. That means, yes, uh uh-huh, we're not to be unequally yoked. That means we don't missionary date, right? Yes, you can shake your hand like that. That means we don't save the world one relationship at a time. Yeah, that's right, Pastor. Amen to that. You know, we don't do it like that. We wait on God. And we wait for God to give us the right person in our life. And we wait for God to say, hey, here's this relationship. Now you take it slow. And you watch me grow in it. And, you know, I'm not saying that there's a, there's a, a format and a time frame and all that kind of stuff. What I'm saying is you wait on the Lord. And when the Lord gives you the green lights, then you walk through those doors. But listen to me. The devil is really good at opening doors too. Because oftentimes what we say is, oh, God's opened up all the doors for us to be married. God's opened up all the doors for us to be in this relationship. And look what all He's done. Are you sure that you didn't help Him along the way? Are you positive that you weren't jiggling the lock and kicking the door in and saying, look, it's open. Whoa! Look what the Lord's done. Are you sure? Be careful. I know what it's like to want to be with somebody. I know what it's like to desire to, to be, um, you know, settle down and to, you know, start that whole new chapter in your life. But I'm telling you that I had multiple relationships before I got married. And I'm glad that I didn't just jump in and sign some papers and get married because, you know what? That wasn't the right thing. God would say, you wait on me. And the way that I did it anyway was wrong. I was an unbeliever. As believers... You have the Holy Spirit inside you. Let that wisdom come out in these situations. Don't let your emotions take over, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Beware. Listen, business people, whatever kind of partnership that you're looking for that is going to lock you into a situation where you are at, you know, you're, you're, you've signed on the line with someone else for financial responsibility, and your character is on the line just as much as they are, you probably want to be pretty sure you know the person. You probably want to be pretty sure that they are walking in the Lord. Listen, I've done some deals with, some, with people that, you know what, up front I thought they were Christians, you know, and, and I'm not saying they, they aren't Christians, but when things come down the wire and stuff gets hard, you see where people really are. Because when everything's great and money's flowing, everybody's happy. But when things go south, that's when the true character comes out. And so you have to beware. I'm learning this myself. Listen to me. Don't be unequally yoked with the world. Be careful about the relationships, about the partnerships, about the things that you're, you're hooking yourself up into. Now, of course, we live in a world, the world, and we have jobs and we work for unbelievers and all of that kind of stuff that's that's a little bit different i mean you're not your name is not on the line you're working for somebody else and that's not what jesus was talking about what he's saying is don't get as it relates to yourself and what you're doing don't get your person in bed with another person that's not a believer that's what he's saying like where you are fully uh, you know responsible just as much as they are for whatever happens that's what that means and so beware of that be careful Notice that Jesus never rushed into anything. When they came to Him, in in certain situations, you would think like, Jesus, you probably should rush into that. I'm just saying. I mean, Lazarus is dead. You should probably go see Lazarus right now. You know, he's sick. He's not dead yet. Uh, You know, you probably could do something about that and you know he's going to die, but he waits. Why? Because Jesus knows that God's timing is perfect. Jesus knows that God's timing is perfect. And so He waits on the Father to give Him the green light. That is how we should approach life. Lord, I'm waiting on you until you tell me to go forward. Don't be unequally yoked. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Look for the fruits of the Spirit in a person because people will tell you all kinds of things. 
talk to their pastor. Talk to their friends. Find out. Watch them. And see if the Spirit of God is in them before you hook yourself to them. The Lord warned the children of Israel about this very thing. About this very thing that was going to happen when they went into the, 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 the land of Canaan. In, in Exodus chapter 34, verses 11 through 12, God said this. He said, observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare to your midst. Oh, God didn't really mean that. He didn't really mean for us to watch out for covenants. He didn't really mean for that to be the thing. Hello, red flag. He said watch out for covenants in the land. We're in the land. We're not sure where these people are from, but we're going to get in a covenant with them. God didn't really mean unequally yoked like that. That's not what he meant. Isn't it? It is. It is what he meant. God warned the children of Israel that the inhabitants of Canaan would desire covenant with them because they would watch God move through the land, taking them down one city at a time, and they knew theirs was next. And he understood. He was giving them, this is prophetic. He's saying, this is going to happen. So watch out for it. Just like spiritual warfare. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You've got to watch out for it. Some people don't even know they're in it. They're just being pushed along the battle. They're not even, they don't even realize that they're in the battle. The way that Joshua responds to this is correct. He says, listen, who are you and where are you from? Before we go any further, answer me this. And man, some people are really good at deflecting questions. They're incredible. This was scripted. They, they thought this through. He's going to ask you who you are and where you're from. So what are you going to say? Oh, we're from a far, far country. You know, but we're your servants. Let's deflect the question. Let's get your eyes on something that maybe you would want. Hey, we'll serve you. We're your servants. Just We're your servants, and we come from this, this land. Let's not talk about where, where it is, but, but let's bring in the Lord into the conversation. Let's use his name. Let's just say, oh, in the name, you know, and then I said in the name of Jesus, and lo and behold, I was, you know, I, I saw, you know, they're, they're trying to get on common ground here. It's script. It's script. Oh, yeah, we heard about, uh, you know, we saw you guys as you were coming out of Egypt and how your God, the Lord your God, how he did these amazing things against, against um, whatever, these, the, the kings that he mentioned there. Against uh, Sihon, the king of Hesbron, and Og, the king of Bashan. He's talking all the way back some 40 years ago when they came out of the land of Egypt. When they were, he was saying, yeah, oh yeah. We saw that, and, and when we saw that, when we heard about that, uh, our people said, hey, pack your bags and go make a covenant with them, and so that's, what, we, that's why we're here. I mean, we've heard about you guys, we're, you know, as if they're from that land. They never answered the question, where are you from? Listen, when you ask a direct question and you can't get a direct answer, something's wrong. That should be a red flag. Why won't you answer my question? I'm asking you a direct question, and you won't answer it. They deflected, and then they tried to get on whatever common ground they could. Who are you, and where do you come from? If a person is going to skirt your questions, they're hiding something. Don't be fooled. Be leery of those who want to get uh, too close too soon. Thirdly, don't make a decision on what looks and feels right. Anybody done that before? That didn't work out real well, huh? Oh, it looked good. It felt right. Doesn't work. Look at verse 14. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Listen, people always say this saying, well, go with your gut. Just go with your gut, man. You know, go with how you feel. Go with what you see. That is totally contrary to Scripture. Go with what this says is, should be our counsel. What does the Bible say about your situation? What does the Bible say about this decision? You know, where, where is the Spirit leading you? Not go with your gut. 
I think I'm pretty good at that, but I made many mistakes doing that. Anybody else with me on that? Like, hey, I've gone with my gut one too many times. It got me in trouble. That's because your gut is wrong. How you feel is wrong oftentimes. Not all the time. Not all the time, but oftentimes it is wrong. Because we're led, if we're led by emotions, what we feel and what we want is where we'll be led. Jesus said, where your heart is, there your treasure will, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? That suggests that, you know, if we walk by feelings and we have an unhealthy thing as our target, we're going to make it work somehow because we're walking by feelings. We need to use the scripture, we need to use the word of God, and we need to use the multiple of counselors in our midst to help walk, us walk through really, you know, situations that we are emotionally attached to that we know we can't make good decisions with. Now, I don't understand why Joshua is, is, has done this. He doesn't, not really emotionally attached to this situation. Maybe they're on a spiritual high and, you know, whatever. I don't know. But the bottom line is, it, just because it looks right and it feels right doesn't mean it's right. At the end of the day, these guys were playing a really, really good part. They had really, really good costumes. They had dry bread. I mean, their clothes were all jacked up when they showed up. Look at us. We look like homeless people, but we're from a land far, far away. Look at our bread. It's all crumbly and molded. I mean, this shows you guys. Oh, let me look at that. Boy, it really does. I mean, hey, they must be who they say they are. Let's make a covenant with them. The Lord said not to do that. You see how the enemy works. He loves to challenge God's word. He loves to, to, to say, oh, God didn't really mean that. That's what he's done from day one. He's challenged God's word. Oh, Eve, he didn't really mean that. Oh, Jesus, why don't you do this or that? And how did Jesus defend the enemy? With the word of God. He quoted the word of God. Don't make decisions on how things look or feel. The number one principle of making good decisions is this. Ask God. You can write that down. Decision-making principle number one, ask God. What do you say about this situation, God? Ask Him. Is this the right relationship that I'm supposed to be in, God? Is this the right road I'm going down, God? Is this where you would have me to be today, God? It, you know, I, I'm thinking about leaving my job. Is this the right move for me? I'm thinking about, you know, uh, whatever, whatever you're doing, ask God. Just ask Him. Now, He's giving you some lenience in this, okay? I mean, I don't want you to see you speaking in tongues in the middle of a grocery store trying to figure out which bag of chips to get. No, Lord, you know, I don't know what to do here. Lord, maybe go with your gut on that one. I don't know, I'm just saying. But, you know, at the end of the day, there are times that when it comes to, you know, God's giving you a brain and He's giving the Spirit of God in you and you can have instant wisdom. But we should be in a, in a constant state of prayer so that when we encounter these things, we don't, you know, there were, there were times in the Bible already where, where Jesus told Joshua, get up, stop, stop seeking my face right now and start listening to what I'm saying. Like there's a time to just listen to what he says and do it, not sit there and meditate and wonder. Well, how do we know if it's the Lord? How do we know? Because God's not the author of confusion. And if you find yourself confused, that's not God. Okay, I, I've been there. When I was called in the ministry and I, and I was trying to figure that out, I was like, okay, Lord, I know. I, there's no question you've called me to ministry, right? I know that. But what do I do now? Well, well, I look in the Word and I say, well, obviously, you know, Jesus called them, He equipped them, and then He sent them. So obviously, I'm in the equipping stage now. You've called me, now I'm going to be equipped. And so I start to look at God's Word and I say, okay, well, what does equip mean? Okay, well, I'm going to have to go to, I'm going to Bible college and all this kind of stuff, and I was getting ready. So I started making steps. I was taking steps to do that and trying to figure this out. You know, Lord, I'm going to sell my stock and my business, and I'm going to go to Modesto, California, and go to a school ministry there, and I'm going to do all this kind of stuff. And, 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 you know, I was seeking his face at the same time, but I was confused. 
I didn't know really exactly what he wanted me to do. And so after, you know, seriously, like you, you know how this is. You know, you're praying one day and you're like, Lord, if this is your will, make it happen. And I look up and I'm in Sarasota, Florida, and I look up in front of me and there's a license plate, this thing that says Modesto on it, you know. So I'm like, well, of course this is the Lord. And then the next day I'm like, maybe not, you know. And the Lord, you know, and I was all over the map. I was confused. God doesn't do it that way. Like he's going to ask us to step out in faith, but he, he, he makes our path sure, man. Like he, we know the direction we're supposed to go. And so what, the principle that I've always used when it comes to that is when I'm confused, I don't do anything. I just stop. Lord, I'm confused. I don't know. And I'm just going to wait on you. I don't think God will ever, ever scold you for, saying, for waiting on him. Lord, I'm waiting on you. He may scold you for not doing what he said, but he's never going to scold you for saying, Lord, I wasn't sure, and so I waited. Wait on him. Make sure that's... And, and, and you know what? I, I believe the way that it all worked out, that was his perfect will for my life, that I did exactly what I was supposed to do. I was equipped. My pastor was the, the pastor at um, Bible college, and so I asked him, hey, will you equip me? And so he took me through a bunch of stuff, and... I, I did a bunch of um, classes through him. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a formal education, but I was equipped. And then the Lord sent me out. I, did, I wasn't even seeking to move to Tennessee. But through my business, we moved up here. And then the Lord said, now start a church. I have no idea how to do that, Lord. You calling the right guy? Yep, I am. I want you to do that. And, and that's how it all happened. Listen, when we, we need to, sometimes we need to stop pursuing and uh, let the Lord start revealing. Sometimes we just need to stop and wait and see what the Lord would say to us. But we always need to ask Him. Take your decisions before the Lord. Don't let the, the, the devil dupe you with old wine and bread and clothing and, and he'll continue to tell you, oh yeah, the doors are open because he can do those kind of things. Listen, be sure it's the Lord. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. You can hear his voice. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you can hear him. And he'll speak directly, clearly to you because you're his child and he loves you. And he's not trying to just say, hey, figure it out. He's our shepherd. He leads us by still waters into green pastures. He loves you. And he's not just abandoned you on this earth to, to let you figure it out. And so if you find yourself in that place today, just stop and wait and listen to him. Don't let the devil dupe you. Surprisingly, Joshua didn't do that and he made a peace treaty with these folks because it looked and felt right and he hardly knew them. What a mistake. And yet, it's not the end of the world, but it does complicate things. Don't make mistakes based on what looks and feels right. And last but not least, the fourth thing I want to share with you is relating to guarding against Gibeon is when the truth is revealed, do the next right thing. When the truth is revealed, do the next right thing. Look at verse 16. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were neighbors and that they lived among them. The people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Kirifath, Biroth, Kiriath, Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, let them live. So they, began, they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregations, just as the leaders had said of them. Joshua summoned them and said to them, why did you deceive us, saying, we are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now, therefore, you are, accur you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood, and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty 
that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of, because of you and did this thing. And now, behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregations and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. We've all heard the saying, two wrongs don't make a right. Two wrongs don't make a right. If you fail at choosing the right spouse or you get pregnant before you're married, what should you do? Do the right next thing. Do the right next thing. Don't continue. Don't try and, and, don't try and battle sin with more sin. Stop digging the hole. At some point you just say, okay, I blew it. Now what do I do? Lord, I need to climb out of the hole and get back to the foot of the cross, Lord. I need to... Uh, you know, get back to that place where you're the Lord of my life, where you're leading me, where I'm, I'm submitting to your will and not my own. Don't continue to sin to battle this previous sin that you have just sinned. Don't do that. That never works out. Listen, if you find out your spouse or uh, the, the man or woman that isn't the man or woman that you shot, thought she was, don't leave them. You made a vow before the Lord. You keep your vow. You don't get divorced because you realize this person has no interest in God. Oh, you're not interested in God? Well, I'm going to divorce you now. That's not scriptural context for divorce. You, you shouldn't do that. You made a vow before the Lord. Now you keep it. You deal with it. And you start to become a witness to that person in that relationship. You don't continue to make bad choices and say, oh, I'm out of this situation. Now I'm going to figure out how to get back out of it. You look to God's word to lead you out of that situation. He'll tell you what to do, but it's not going to be that. He's not going to tell you to do that. He hates divorce. I, this is one of the most famous, re, most ridiculous ed, pieces of advice that you could ever get in, in the world. And is if you find yourself, you know, you get pregnant before you're married. And what do people say? Do the right thing. Well, what's the right thing? Of course it's to get married. I mean, hey, you know, you turn the one night stand into a lifelong, you know, train wreck. Why would you do that? Stop making bad decisions. Stop making bad choices. Just stop it. If you blew it, deal with the sin and get right with God and move forward. The right next thing isn't what the world says the right next thing is. It's what God says is the right next thing. If you find yourself in, in you know, failed in some way, shape, or form, we talked a little bit about this last week. What do you do? God can work through the failure, but you've got to stop making bad choices. You've got to start letting the Lord lead your life. You have to let Him do that. He'll lead you right out of the hole, and He'll take you right up the mountain, and you will experience Him like you've never experienced Him before, but you've got to follow Him. He's not following you. You're to follow Him. Just stop sinning and start living for the Lord. Choose the right next step after the fall. And like I said last week, failure is not the end. Don't think you caught God off guard in your failure. He's working through it. He knows what He's doing. He can use it. He isn't caught off guard. He's going to use that in some way, shape, or form in your life. And it doesn't mean that it won't be hard. Because sometimes we make bad choices that last a lifetime. And we deal with the consequence of that, but we also at the very same time receive the grace of God to be able to do that. And so we walk through those things. Listen, people are going to murmur. People are going to complain about what you're doing. You failed, and so they're going to just really lay it out to you. Oh, I can't believe you did that. Oh my gosh, God can't love you. I mean, who, who are you? Why would you? Why would, you know? And they're going to do these kind of things just like the children of Israel were doing. They were murmuring. They were really good at that. We're really good at that. Listen, if you don't have constructive advice from the Lord to share with somebody, please don't talk. Please don't make a bad situation worse. Just be quiet. People don't need your opinions. Like what they need is the Word of God. 
They need some ointment on the wound so that God can begin to heal them. Like, like Galatians 6.1 says, you know, um, if you see somebody that's fallen, you know, he who is spiritual, restore that one with a spirit of gentleness. Don't just pour gasoline on the fire. Just stop and, and minister to them. Maybe you're not the one that's even supposed to say anything. Maybe you just need to be praying for that person. After realizing that you failed, just choose to do the next right thing. Don't listen to what everybody else is saying. What is the, the next right thing in this situation? Keep the oath. Keep the oath. God wants to, you to keep your word, you know that? Particularly when you say in His name, hey, Lord, we're swearing in Your name on this situation, then guess what? Keep your oath. Jesus said that in Matthew 5.33. He said it like this. He said, again, I have heard that it was said of, of those of old, you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. And he goes on to talk about that. Jesus would say, listen, don't get into situations where you're binding yourself in his name because you're bound to that. Don't do it. Just don't take oaths. Jesus says the answer to that is just don't do that. Don't find yourself you know, taking oaths that you can't keep. Oh, yeah. I'm going to do that, man. You know, I, I, and some people really take, that seri- really take that literally and they always qualify everything they say with Lord willing. You know, Oh, Lord willing. I'll be there tomorrow, Lord willing. <laughs> I'm just covering it, man. I'm just saying I'm not making a bond with you, but I'm just saying Lord willing and I'm not sure if he is or not, but I may be there, I may not. I don't know. We'll see. Don't make an oath. Don't take oaths, Jesus said, but if you do, you've got to do it. You've got to keep it. They've got to keep it. And you know what? They did keep it. And they kept it for a very long time until a dude named Saul shows up as king, the people's champ, you know. He shows up and he says, hey, I don't like these Gibeonites, man. And so let's just stop, let's kill some. That doesn't work out real well. Look at this, 2 Samuel 21, verse 2. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, a year after year. David sought the face of the Lord and the Lord said, there is blood guilt on Saul and all his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. Listen, God honored the oath that they made. And He honored it forever. He honored it because they made it in His name. And God always honors His name. He always honors His name. He always honors His word. He does what He says He's going to do. He do and he, whatever that is. I don't know how that works. I can't think today. But He always does what He says He's going to do. You know what ended up happening? Saul ended up losing seven of his, seven of his sons. They end, up de- they end up dying. David spared one handicapped boy that ate at his table. He said, you know what? The Lord said, because you dishonored me in not keeping that oath, it's going to cost you. God is serious about us keeping our word. The next right thing, oftentimes as it relates to us, is repentance. That's the next right thing. The next right thing for us when we fail is to recognize where we failed, take that before the Lord and ask Him for forgiveness, and then do what He says. And as we prepare for communion now, that's what we're going to do. Just take a minute to just think about, Lord, if there are things in my life right now that I need to repent of, that I need to turn over to You, I want to do that because I want to honor Your Word. You know, you, you tell me not to come to the table carelessly as if, it's no big deal if there's sin in my life and I can just do whatever. Jesus paid it all, you know. And He did. But we should be reverent when we come to the table and remember what Jesus has done. This is representation of His body and blood. Jesus Christ, His body perfect for you and I. He lived sinlessly. He didn't do anything wrong. And yet, He was crucified on the cross as a perfect sacrifice. For you and I. It's the only way that His blood could cover us. And His blood was spilt on Calvary for you and I, for our sin, so that we can get right with God, so that there is a next right thing to do. Because without Jesus, there is no next right thing. The only thing that we have waiting for us is condemnation and judgment. And God said, I won't have that. I'm going to send a Savior for you. And his name is Jesus. Listen, guarding against Gibeon 
means that you understand that there is deception in the world, there's spiritual warfare happening, and that you need to be on guard at all times. You cannot let your guard down. I found that when I'm in the most spiritual high of my life, when, I, when God's done great things in my life, that I'm the most vulnerable. Listen, oftentimes we're in the valley, we're the most guarded, and we're prepared for anything. Maybe we should try and live like that up here. Always being prepared, being wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, for your word. We thank you for just the application here in this text. We need to guard ourselves against Gibeon, Lord. You've put your spirit in us and given us wisdom, Lord. And yet there's a war going on within us. Our flesh and our spirit and your spirit. And our flesh would desire to fall for the, for the deception, to be duped. Because it longs to be fulfilled. And yet your spirit would say, don't do it. Be set free. Be healed. Be be victorious in Jesus' name. That's what the Spirit would say. And so this morning, God, as we prepare ourselves for communion, as we prepare for a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done so that we can guard against deception, Lord, we ask that you would just move in our midst this morning, that you would help true repentance to come to our minds if we, we do need to get right with you about something, Lord, that you would help us to do that. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that isn't in right relationship with you, that maybe this morning is the day that they get right with you, that they call upon your name for salvation. And we just want to extend an offer of that this morning before we go any further. If there's anyone here this morning that would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you would raise your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer. Anyone at all saying, hey, I'm not sure that I'm right with God and I want to be. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, we're just continuing to pray. If there's anyone here that needs relationship with Jesus, just raise your hand. God wants to make you right in His sight today. Maybe you are struggling with that this morning. Listen, God knows, and He loves you, and He's pursuing you even right now. That's you. I'll give you one more chance. Raise your hand. The Lord wants to offer salvation to you. He wants to save you from your sin. You just lift your hand up. If you're here this morning and you've been walking with Jesus and you've been unfaithful this morning and you're saying, hey, Lord, I want to rededicate my life to you. I want to commit everything that I am to you, Lord. I have been living half-heartedly. Would you just lift your hand this morning and just say, Lord, I just want to commit my life to you again because I'm, I haven't been in that place. I haven't been right with you. I haven't been walking with you. If you're here this morning and you want to you get right with the Lord, not for salvation, but for sanctification's sake, just lift your arm into the air. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else want to just get right with God? Maybe you're not walking strong with Him today. And Amen, I see you. Anyone else? The Lord's moving. Amen. Anyone else? Come on. The Lord just wants to get serious with you. That's all He's asking. And we all fail. We all fall short in the glory of God. And yet Jesus Christ makes up the difference. He covers us in our sin. Lord, for those that have raised their hands right now, God, we pray in Jesus' name that you restore them even now, Lord. That you put a fire in their heart, God. That you fan the flame that it would never die, Lord. And I pray that you would take them to, to a different level of spiritual living than they've ever lived before in their lives. That they would trust you in the deepest waters that you might put them in, Lord. And I'm asking you even now, Lord, to put a hedge of protection around them because we know the enemy would love to come and devour that work that you're trying to do. So we thank you, Lord, that we can do that even now. And we pray just for all of us today that we just repent of our sin, Lord, and we get right with you as we prepare for communion now. And so we, 
As we distribute these elements, Lord, we ask you for your blessing over them. And we ask you to continue to move by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.